here, uh, the word of God being read and preached. And just to kind of let you know, uh, I had to record the sermon ahead of time. Uh, unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. I mean, I did my best uh, to, to provide a full-fledged sermon, but apparently somehow, some way, the sermon got cut off at the very tail end of the message. Uh, I think the last four to five minutes was cut off. So what we're gonna do is a little bit of a hybrid. You're gonna watch the pre-recorded sermon and then right when it ends, I'm gonna preach the final five minutes to you uh, in person. I've never done this and I'm risking a lot with these five kids uh, right in the next room. So please be in prayer that things would happen. But with all that said, why don't we spend a few moments of just preparing ourselves to really hear today's word today as we kick off this new series that we're going to do called the in-person church really want to encourage all of you to listen well and to have an open heart and a teachable mind so let's spend a few moments just preparing our hearts and then we'll go ahead with the message let's prepare now scripture reading for today comes to us from the book of Romans chapter 16 verses 3 to 16. Hear now the reading of God's word. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ambalitis, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania, Trephosa. Greet beloved Persis, and who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asynchronitis, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brother who are with them. Greet Pelagolus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? And Father, now we ask that you would be with us in spite of these unusual times that we are in, and even in this unusual setting in which this word is being delivered. Father, we know that nothing can stop your word from being proclaimed, and it will not uh, be held back by the powers of darkness or by the will of man. For your word is powerful, and your word will accomplish what it has achieved, what you have willed it to do. And now, Father, we pray that you would minister to us and that you would watch over us in the midst of the trials that we find ourselves in. Father, would you encourage us and build us up? For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, did you know that there is a part of you that you're completely oblivious to? 
It's true. There is a side of you that is completely hidden in plain sight. And the only way in which this part of you could be revealed to you is not by drinking, you know, some magic potion like Dr. Jekyll, nor is it sitting on a counselor's couch deconstructing your past. No, the only way in which you can be exposed to this part of who you are is in the context of a community. A community, specifically a gathered community. Why? Because there's something about the dynamic of a gathered context, a communal situation that brings stuff out of you that you could never muster on your own strength. Case in point, you know, many people today would claim that they are not racist. Yeah, I have no racist bone in my body at all. And yet, if you put these same individuals in a certain communal situation, in a certain gathered context, now, all of a sudden, they're thinking, they're saying, they're doing things that reveal the racial hatred that is embedded deep within them that moments ago they would have sworn they're not capable of. Again, there is something about the dynamics of a community that reveals who you truly are that as an isolated individual, you can never discover on your own. Now, there's actually a technical scientific term to what I'm describing. Sociologists call it ethos ethos and if you look up that word in any standard dictionary you will come across this definition quote the fundamental character or spirit of a culture the underlying sentiment that informs the beliefs customs or practices of a group or society dominant assumptions of a people or period whether you realize it or not you have within you certain biases certain beliefs certain behaviors that reveal who you truly are your true identity that only emerges in the context of a community. And so with that said, here's the question. What would happen to a person if they never allow themselves to be in a community? What would happen to a person if they never gathered in any gathering? Well, the answer is pretty simple. They would end up being a stranger, not only to other people, but to themselves. And in all my years of pastoring, as well as counseling people, I have discovered there is no one who is more in danger in their life than someone who has no idea of who they really are. Because think about it. How in the world could a person ever live safely in this world when the person they live with the most, i.e. themselves, is a complete stranger to them? Now, the reason I bring all this up is because approximately 18 months ago, we had to shut this whole thing down at NCF, specifically our Sunday gathered worship, as well as our other communal gatherings and we reopened back up a little over nine months ago and during that time some of you maybe many of you have not yet set one foot in the context of those nine months in gathered worship okay and given that it only takes 66 days for a habit to develop i as your pastor worry that many of you have been habituated to such a point where you are now preferring and therefore intending of never regaining fellowship with us in person as we gather on the Lord's day. And it is my hope and prayer that is not what is happening to you and that you would fight against it, okay? So starting today, we are gonna begin a short sermon series that I'm calling the In-Person Church. And the point of this series is to show and to highlight why the gatherings that we do on the Lord's Day as well as any other days that we gather together as a church are so crucial and really irreplaceable in any other digital or online platform. And to kick off this series, we're gonna talk about a topic that I feel so many of us take for granted and yet what I hope to show 
is so vital for you truly being able to know yourself, to know your community, and therefore be a blessing to the world around you. And that is this idea of greeting one another. I want to talk about why it's so crucial that you must greet one another if you truly want to know yourself in community and therefore be a blessing to those around you. So with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you today. First, we're gonna talk about the importance of greeting one another. Then we're gonna talk about the gathering we should be greeting one another in. And finally, we're gonna end it with the power for greeting one another. The importance of it, the gathering which it should be done in, and finally, the power to do it, okay? So let's begin with the first point, the importance of greeting one another. Now, before I go any further, you should know that this passage that we're looking at today, Romans 16, is not the only passage where the Apostle Paul implores and commands the church to greet one another. In fact, if you read his other letters, okay, he always ends most of them, if not all of them, with this command to greet one another. You find it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You see it in Colossians and Philippians and, and Titus and Philemon, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It's just everywhere. Every church that Paul either started or supported, he is always telling the church to greet one another. And so with that in mind, you might be wondering, Pastor, out of all the possible passages in which you could base today's sermon on, why did you base it on Romans 16 and not say, for example, you know, 2 Corinthians 13? Well, there are actually two reasons why today's passage is Romans 16. The first is this text that we're looking at today is the longest text that Paul addresses this topic. Paul talks about greeting one another in the most comprehensive, long-winded way in Romans 16 than in any other passages. So you could argue that this has the most material in which we can glean on to understand the significance of why we should greet one another. But the second reason why I chose this text is perhaps the more significant one, and that is this is the text that closes what many consider to be Paul's magnum opus that is the book of Romans. You see, Bible scholars have stated many times that this is perhaps one of the, if not the most important New Testament book that is out there today. It is considered by many a philosophical and theological masterpiece in all of Christian literature, in addition to the fact that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I remember back when I was in seminary, one of my professors made this audacious claim that if we lost the entire New Testament except the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans, Christianity would still be intact. Can you imagine that? If we lost 93% of the New Testament, 25 of the 27 books, okay, but had the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans, my professor says Christianity would still be intact. This tells us how important this book that we're studying today is. And I am convinced that the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he also knew how significant, how vital, how important this book would be. And so with that in mind, we ask ourselves, how would Paul end this theological masterpiece? And what final thing would he want to instruct us with so that we would always remember this is how he ended this book? The answer, greeting one another. Greeting one another. You see, in the Apostle Paul's mind, Greeting one another is such a crucial, significant, and important thing. And Christian, this is something that I feel we really need to grasp because I feel like so many of us in the church, we tend to minimize, we tend to dismiss in terms of how significant greeting one another is. We might say something like, come on, pastor, how significant, how important can it actually be for me to say hi, hello, welcome, 
greetings. I mean, it's not the same thing as, you know, pulling someone out of a burning building. It's not like changing someone's life dramatically, right? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Let me ask you, imagine for a moment if no one in your entire life said any form of greetings to you. Just imagine for a moment how your life would be, how different it would be if no one said, hi, hello, welcome, greetings. Can you imagine how different your life could possibly be? Well, many of you guys don't have to imagine because you have experienced something that is very akin to something that traumatic, and that of course is racism, right? We're living in the country and the culture that we do, where we have been shunned in such a way where we have not received a hello, we have not received a welcome, we have not received a greetings, and we have been traumatized by it. You know, one particular book that I think captures this trauma perfectly is the award-winning book, The Invisible Man, written by the well-known African-American playwright, uh, Ralph Ellison. Take a listen to how he describes the trauma of never being acknowledged in the form of greetings. He says this, quote, I am an invisible man. No, I am not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe, nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Like the bodies, bodiless heads you sometimes see in circus sideshows, it is as though I have been surrounded by mirrors of hard, distorted glass. When they approach me, they see only my surroundings, themselves, or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me." End quote. You see, greeting one another is not some superficial, insignificant thing. No, no, no. It is so crucial, it is so significant, because just by giving a simple greeting, you are giving that other person the recognition of dignity that they possess as an image bearer of God, okay? I mean, think of it this way. What does the best of friendships, the most amazing marriages, and the most wonderful work environments, what do they all have in common? They all started at some point with someone being willing to say, greetings, hello, to you, right? See, greeting one another is kind of like that, that little spark that can create a massive flame, providing light and warmth and safety, which conversely means that when you are lacking being greeted by others around you, you can end up in a situation where life feels cold, dark and dangerous, thereby potentially making you into a cold, dark, and dangerous person, you see? Here's the point. You and I must acknowledge the significance, the importance of greeting one another, and as we do, we must apply it in a gathered context where we can do such a thing. But of course, that begs the question. What is the gathered context in which such greetings are to be done? Because after all, there's so many social spaces to which we can engage where greetings are done. But is there a specific gathering Paul has in mind for the specific kind of greetings that Paul says we are to do as followers of Jesus? Well, I believe there is. And to answer that, I will go to my next point, the gathering we should be greeting one another in. So as I said earlier, this is Paul's longest text where he commands the church to greet one another. And one of the reasons why it's so long is because Paul names so many people. He names 26 people. I mean, there's a lot of people. And when you look at the vast amount of names that he names, you can't help but to wonder, Paul, 
Are you doing a little name dropping here? Are you kind of boasting? Are you kind of showing off about how well networked, how well connected you are? Are you kind of one of that ancient forms of people today who show on their Facebook, Instagram feed of how many people are following them, how many names are on their friends list? No, that is not what Paul is doing at all. In fact, Paul is doing the exact opposite. He is trying to show us the kind of gathered community in which greeting one another, as he tells us, is to be done, the kind of community that we should be a part of. And so let's take a closer look at these names to see if we can figure out what kind of community Paul has in mind. First, I want to draw to your attention to the fact that in this long list of names that Paul names, there are many women, nine women to be exact. For example, he mentions Prisca, wife of Aquila. He mentions a woman named Mary. And then he mentions <clears throat> a woman related to certain people, like the mother of Rufus and Nereus' sister. Now, here's the question. What does the naming of these nine women, what are we to take away from it? What's so significant about that? Well, you need to understand the social setting that Paul lived in. You see, during the times of the Apostle Paul, women were not respected as as normal human beings. They were considered second-class citizens. In fact, back in the days of Paul, Roman courts would never even consider the testimony of a woman. They would first consider the testimony of a slave before they would ever consider the testimony of a woman. This further goes on to explain why Roman families would usually abandon baby girls because in the Roman family, it was the son that brought significance. It was the son that was wanted in the home not the girls, right? So by naming women in this kind of a social environment, what is Paul trying to tell us in terms of who we should be greeting? Well, I think it's obvious. We should be greeting who those whom our society says are insignificant, who are unimportant, who are unattractive, who are poor, who are oppressed, who are people who have no stature or status according to the values of the world that we live in. And this is further confirmed when Paul references Herodian in verse 11, who according to New Testament scholars was either a slave or a former slave, therefore a person at the lowest rung of the social economic ladder. You see, Paul is telling us that as Christians, we should be part of a gathering that invites the people who the world rejects and we should be greeting them. But here's the thing. Paul says we should be greeting other people as well. People that we would never imagine Paul would tell us to do, such as the rich, the famous, the powerful, the elite. Let me show you, go back to that reference of Rufus. Who is Rufus? Well, it turns out that he is the son of Simon of Cyrene. And who is Simon Cyrene? Well, according to Mark 15, he is the man who helped carry the cross of Christ as Jesus was struggling to make it up the hill towards Calvary. And so what this tells us is that this Simon of Cyrene, who was considered a very well-known prominent figure in the Christian church, his son, by association, also had that same prominence. This was a Christian celebrity for all intents and purposes. Rufus was well known. He was well respected because of the spiritual legacy that he inherited by virtue of being the son of Simon of Cyrene. But who else does Paul name? He also names Aristobulus, verse 10, who was the brother of King Agrippa. And then there is Amphilitus, verse 8, who was related to the Roman emperor. Two individuals who were part of the elite, who was part of the political elite power, significance, you see? So putting all this together, who does Paul say that as followers of Jesus, we should be greeting? Well, the answer is obvious. He says we should be greeting 
every type of person. Now, notice, I did not say that we are to greet every single person, but every type of person. That means there should be no discrimination whatsoever in terms of who we greet. We should greet people who are like us as well as people who are unlike us. We should greet people who look like us as well as who don't look like us. We should greet people who think like us as well as who don't think like us. We should be greeting every type of person out there and create a bond of community, a gathered group that communes together. Now, you hear that and you can't help but to scratch your head because you're thinking, how in the world could you create a community like that with such vast inclusiveness there is nothing in common? I mean, you need something in common to create a community. Well, sociologists actually gives us the answer to that question because they say that the only way a diverse, super inclusive community can actually come together as a unified community is that they must have a significant value that transcends any other values that would normally separate diverse groups of people. And so with that in mind, let me read to you now the classic work from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is from his book, Life Together. Take a listen to what he says should be the governing value of the church. He writes, quote, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through Jesus Christ, end quote. This is such a profound statement because what Bonhoeffer is saying is that the only thing that should bring us together as a church, the only thing that should compel us to gather as a community is Christ and Christ alone. And practically what that means, Christian, is you should be more willing and more comfortable greeting a Christian of another race rather than greeting a non-Christian of the same race as you. Or you as a Christian should be more willing and comfortable greeting a Christian of a different political background than a non-Christian of a similar political background as you. You should be willing and more comfortable greeting a Christian from another culture than you would be a non-Christian from the same culture to which you come out of, you see? This is the point Paul is making. We are to become a community that gathers in the context where Christ is the overarching value and the overarching unifying bond that brings us together. He is the reason why we are together and that is the context in which we greet ourselves in. And the Bible says this is the kind of community the world needs to see. The world needs to see Christians greeting other Christians more than they need to see Christians greeting non-Christians. Why? Because in John chapter 13, there Jesus says that when the world sees Christians greeting one another in this kind of context, then they will know without any shadow of a doubt that Christ is the only thing. He is the only source. He is the only power that can bring divided people together. That politics, that biology, that philosophy, that race, that ethnicity, that economics simply cannot do. But Christians gather together in this form where Christ is the glue and therefore why we greet, that shows that Jesus is truly the only hope of unity and therefore peace that the world is desperately needing even as I speak to you right now. But here's the question. Why would the world ever believe such a Christ when Christians are not willing to greet one another in a gathered context where Christ is exalted, 
where Christ is prayed to, where Christ is worshipped, where Christ is studied. In other words, where Christ is centered, which is what we usually do on the Lord's Day, Sunday worship, you see? Do you now understand why when we gather on the Lord's Day in person, why that is so vital, not just for you, but for the world? Because it's when we're choosing to come together in person and therefore greet in that gathered setting that not only we discover who we are, but we become empowered to show the world what the real hope of unity and therefore peace is to the world. Do you understand? This is why it's so important. This is why we're doing this series. Listen, I am not trying to make any of you guys feel guilty. I am not trying to make any of you guys feel any shame, okay? There are valid reasons why many of you cannot come in person. I understand that. But the point I'm trying to make in this series is not to let your valid reason habituate you in developing an invalid mindset that says gathering together in person where we can't even greet in person, it's not that significant, not that important. No, my friends, it is so far from the truth for you to ever come to that conclusion. It is my hope and prayer that you will come to see why we must gather so that we can do this simple act of greeting, fortifying a community that shows the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. But of course, there lies the question. How do we find the incentivizing, motivating power to do so? Well, let me try to explain that to you and answer it to you by going to my final point, the power for greeting one another. Let's read verse 16 of our passage where Paul writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now here Paul tells us, how we can find the incentive, the motivating power to overcome any habituating preference to not want to gather together in person. He says, you must be willing to give each other a holy kiss. Now, before any of you guys start freaking out, okay, let me tell you what Paul is saying, or maybe more correctly, let me tell you what Paul is not saying. Paul is not telling us that we need to obey this command literally, at least not today. Because according to Bible scholars, this reference to holy kiss was a unique, customary, and socially recognized way of greeting one another in the ancient world, which obviously we don't do. So if you actually wanted to try and obey this command today, you could probably substitute kiss for like more socially appropriate forms of greeting, like the handshake, or I guess now it's the elbow, greet one another with the holy elbow, right? The point is, you don't have to take this command literally. However, with that said, Paul would say you do have to obey this command symbolically. Symbolically, what do I mean? Well, let's think about it. Let's look at the words one at a time beginning with kiss. What is a kiss? A kiss is a physical gesture that symbolizes the people who are kissing have tremendous intimacy, tremendous love, a bond of fellowship that is akin to a family bond, right? That's what a kiss symbolizes, that there's no distance, there's no cover-up, there's no sort of detachment whatsoever, but there is a bond of love, a family bond of love, okay? Now let's jump on to the other word, holy. What does it mean to be holy or holiness? It means to be Okay, everybody, that's where the uh, sermon got cut off. So let me go ahead and uh, continue on where I left off and just so that we can keep the flow of the sermon going. So um, what is holiness? What does it mean 
to be holy? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. It means untainted by sin, something that is pure, something that is clean, something that has no sense of, of wickedness in it whatsoever. So putting these two ideas together, this symbolic reference of a holy kiss is referring to a relationship that is deeply bonded together with family love that is untainted by sin. Now, what is that? That is a perfect description of how God relates to us in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says God the Father sent his one and only begotten son, the eternal son of God, the second person of the triune Godhead, into the world as a mortal human being, Jesus Christ. Why? So that he could live the perfect righteous life. And through his substitutionary death on the cross, he could pass on all of that righteousness that he accrued on our behalf and pass it on to us if we put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. And as a result, we are forgiven. As a result, we have eternal life. And as a result, we know first and foremost why God greets us at all. He greets us because of Christ and through Christ and in Christ alone. You know, in many ways, you could argue that the Father sending Jesus Christ to us is his holy kiss to us. And in fact, that's how some medieval theologians have referred to the person and work of Jesus in the gospel. Take a listen to how one ancient theologian by the name of Bernard of Clairvaux, how he describes Jesus's person and work. He says this, quote, Oh, happy kiss and wonder of amazing self-humbling, which is not a mere meeting of lips, but the union of God and man. The touch of lips signifies is the brining together of souls. But this conjoining of natures unites the human with the divine and makes peace between earth and heaven. For he himself is our peace who made the two one. This was the kiss for which the holy men of old long, and the more so because they foresaw the joy and exaltations of finding their treasures in him and discovering all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him they long to receive all of his fullness end quote what's he saying he's saying by sending his only begotten son the father kisses you he greets you with his holy kiss with jesus christ and when you come to understand it then you come to realize that the basis of why you should greet one another should be the exact same reason to why the Father greets you. Why does the Father greet you? I mean, do you have anything in common with him? Do you share any similarities with him whatsoever in terms of your character, in terms of your demeanor, in terms of your personality, in terms of your ethics? No. The fact of the matter is, is that because of sin, we share no commonality whatsoever that could be the basis of why the Father greets us. But he does greet us, and he greets us only through Jesus Christ. And when you understand that he did this because he loved us like this, and when you experience this love, that love, my friends, inspires you to imitate it by also making Jesus Christ the basis of why you would greet another person who shares Christ with you. Do you see? Do you now understand why it's only when you grasp the gospel and embrace it that you now have the power and the willingness to overcome whatever natural tendency that you might be developing right now of preferring and therefore intending of just keeping your distance and never greeting one another. Friends, please don't allow that sinful habit to develop in you. Fight 
against it during this legitimate temporary season so that the time will come for you to permanently re-engage us once again so that we can re-greet one another through the holy kiss through Jesus Christ. Because if you don't do that, friends, you will not only rob yourself of real deep friendships, but you also risk of being estranged to yourself. And more sadly, you end up robbing the world of seeing the hope through our gathered context where the true source of unity and therefore the true source of peace is something that our world is crying out right now. Would you really take all of this to heart and would you prayerfully ask for the spirit to give this conviction that this message I hope is trying to do so that you would be ready, you would be willing, you would be eager to once again resume your in-person fellowship with us so that we will be eager and ready to greet you with our holy kiss, with our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about today's message and the challenges that it gives to us, Father, we pray that you will guard our hearts from not misunderstanding its intent. Father, we realize that there are necessary and legitimate reasons to why we cannot gather in full. But we also know, Lord, that the enemy is eager at work into stimulating our flesh of taking something that is merely temporary and incentivizing it to be a permanent thing, thereby risking the spiritual health of ourselves, our community, and our witness to the world. Father, we pray against that in Jesus' name, and we pray that we would always meditate on the beautiful kiss that you have given to us through your son, Jesus, so that we would symbolically be ready to do that with one another by greeting one another on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. Would you help us to live this out? And would you make us eager and ready when the time is appropriate for us to come back in full because we truly are ready and willing to become the community you call us to be. Help us do that now by the power of your mercy and love. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're now going to give the Lord his time.